This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, um, last week we began a series, we're going to end it today. Usually, at least once a year, we try to take a little bit of time and review why it is we're here in the first place. Last week I joked a little bit about what it's like to get older, um, and this week I don't have to. I've actually got friends from Bible college. Like, see, some of you thought none of them were even alive, okay? <laughs> and, and it's so great. I mean, all the way from, well, Florida, but now Ohio. It's great to have you guys. It was so great that you would join us. So, so some of us are still alive, and uh, we did care for dinosaurs when we were younger, but yeah, you know, uh, but anyway, as we get older, sometimes we have that experience, right, of walking into a room and not remembering why you're there. Actually, it's not just older. It's distraction, too. There's so many things that are going through our minds at any one time. And so it's important for us to take a little bit of time and remember why did we walk into this room. I've told the story before about the, the, the business traveler who, who kind of skidded into a city late, and uh, on his way to his hotel, he saw... Just down the street from his hotel, a business with a sign out front that said Chinese laundry. So he knew that a lot of his stuff needed to be cleaned before he would continue his trip. And so the next morning, he, he got himself down there to that place, and he, he dumped out all of his laundry on the counter, and he said, yeah, I'd like all of these things cleaned and starched, please. And the guy behind the counter looked at him confused. What are you talking about? Because, well, it's, this is a Chinese laundry. I wanted to have my laundry done. He said, mister... This isn't a Chinese laundry, this is a sign shop. <laughs> it's easy to make assumptions that end up by being not true. What do you think people assume about those who would go to church on a Sunday morning? The truth is, we are not here for ourselves, but we are here to be on mission. Jesus told us to do this and told us to get something done, and we should once in a while make sure that we stop and review what that means. A while back, little bracelets went around. What would Jesus do? I think we should be asking ourselves, what did Jesus do? Whatever he did, we should be modeling. And so that's what we're going to continue today. Last week, we made a few points. You see, we here, when we try to boil it all down, we simply say that our motto around here is, is we're here helping people on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. And I could, I could unpack every word, helping, because that's what we do best around here. We're just helpers. We, we don't always know best, but we're helpers, helping people on their journey. Let's just be honest. It's their journey. We're coming alongside them. It's a journey. It's a process. No one has arrived. But, we, but everybody's journey is heading towards something, whether they want to admit it or not. We believe that journey is headed toward knowing Jesus. Every man, woman, and child will know him one day. The question is, will it be as their Lord and Savior or as their judge? Well, that's our motto, but 
How do we get that done? And so last week we talked about a few things. We said that when we gather together, we we're really talking about four values that kind of steer what we do. Gather, connect, grow, bless. And so last week we started by talking about gathering. We noticed that when Jesus gathered people around himself, he gathered them and focused their attention on truth. You've heard it said, but I say to you, this is what the prophets said. He gathered them around truth. When we gather... When we gather together, we gather first to be edified by the Word of God. We want to open it and discuss it and listen to it and look for ways for the Spirit of God to apply it to our lives. But that's not all. Because as we're learning about the Word of God, it's not just a cognitive thing. It's not just a kind of gaining more knowledge. We want to learn so that our lives can change. There's a purpose. We're, we're learning for change. Secondly, when we gather, we exalt God in worship. Now, we were just singing, but I'm going to suggest that worship isn't just singing. Oh, it's an important part. But the attitude of our hearts throughout this whole process is one of worship. If you have been forgiven by a holy God and invited to join him in his work, even though you, there's nothing that you have to offer except what he's given you, uh, it prompts something inside of us. And our hearts fill and overflow to thankful. I know you think I'm a sap, but I get moved to tears over and over again as we sit and we worship. And I think about what we're singing and I think about what God has done. Think about what he's doing in some of your lives. And the fact that we get to walk this together. I got a call this week like many weeks. I got a call this week from a family that was in crisis. And as they were telling me what was going on, my first thought was, I can't believe you called me. They called us. What a joy. So we gather to exalt God in worship. That includes a, a sense of celebration. And I hear it. You guys, we can hear it when you're singing and clapping and cheering. Yay, God. That's what it means to be a redeemed people. When we gather, the, the kind of the next step that we see in Jesus' life as he gathered them around truth is then he began to kind of build intimate relationships with those who followed him. We see that in his interaction with the disciples especially. But as he connected with them, these were deep, authentic, real relationships. They lived together, ate together, slept together. He watched them fail. They watched him succeed. They learned together. As they were connected together increasingly as a team, the purpose seems to be that Jesus was equipping them to serve. This is part of his training. We're not together, by the way. We're not, we don't gather just because we like each other. Some of us happen to, not everybody. We're not, we're not just, again, I heard of this, we were able to help some folks, and they said, you guys are just so nice. I said, no, we're not. We're not. We're not as nice as you think. But Jesus, oh, he's nice. And we're trying to be like him. Why do you come? Do you come because you like the people here and you're encouraged and you're hoping to get something? Increasingly, as Jesus draw his, drew his disciples together, it wasn't about what they got. It was about learning so they could give. We looked last week that he gathered them together so that he could send them out. If you're fine being connected to Jesus, but you have no intention of being sent out, 
you're going to feel a little bit of dissonance once in a while. You're going to feel his foot in the back of your, small of your back. And you'll say, why would he push me away? I'm just telling you now. It's because he, he intends to send us out, not just keep us cloistered together. So we connect so that we can be equipped to serve. And there's some values connected to that. We value the needs of others. Now, I, I know that sounds very churchy and very expected, but you, you do understand that the world expects us to value our needs. And then if we have any time, any extra money, any extra whatever, then help others. We are here for others. It also means that we value authentic relationships. It doesn't mean we can do them. We will disappoint each other. I am really good at being shallow. I don't even have to try. But what we've learned from Jesus is penetrating truth that really starts to get to the core of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what's going on, what our motive is, and honesty and transparency. And in the midst of all that, we actually begin to change authentic relationships. So if you've been showing up and smiling like churchy, you know, like whatever, and then leaving and thinking that you have us fooled, you don't. This week I talked to someone. They said, well, I'd like to come to church but I'm not really sure how to do it. And I went, huh? And they said, I mean, I, I don't know how to, how do you do it? Do you register first somewhere? What I found so wonderful was how honest that was. I don't know what we're talking about. Authentic relationships. Primarily that means us admitting that we are not all that in a bag of chips. And lastly, we value new relationships. And this is the part that gets churches in trouble. See, as soon as we get to a full room, as soon as the room starts feeling full, then we get comfortable. I'm kind of getting used to the people who sit on either side of me, kind of like this. Yep, this is good. Yep. And then, then somebody has the audacity to say, well, let's go to two services and make more room. <gasps> what? Or somebody new comes in. Well, you're going to have to do your time like I did. Really? How much time did you invest? How long were you here? A week before somebody treated you like a friend? Guess what? Mid-sentence. This is what we'll do around here. Mid-sentence, we can be talking to you, and someone new walks in, and we go, and we're gone. Don't get your knickers in a knot. See, we value the new relationships coming in. They're the next ones, just like we were. We will always have room, not just chairs, but space in our lives. It means as soon as you get used to whatever discussion group or life group or, or fellowship group, whatever you're part of, as soon as you get comfortable with them, somebody's going to say, sorry, four of you have to leave to make room. Just get used to it. So we gather, centered on truth, and then we connect so that we can begin to learn to serve. It's equipping. This morning, I want to talk about what I think is the next step. Now, when, when Jesus was doing all this, Peter was right there with him, one of the leaders among the disciples. And so when Peter talked about what the next thing to come along in Jesus' method was, this is what he said in 2 Peter 2.2. 2. 
Uh, 1 Peter 2.2, 2. yeah, I, I got to correct that. I'm sorry about that. Good catch. It's 1 Peter if you're looking it up. But nobody does that anymore. Anyway, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Grow up. Yeah, okay, I've heard that a few times in my life. Grow up. What does it mean to grow up in your salvation? What does he mean by that, uh, grow up? I, I mean, when I first went to church as a new believer, it was very clear to me what people thought that meant. Knowing more Bible verses or walking cer a certain way, talking a certain way, certain haircut back then. What does it mean to grow up in your salvation? Do we, do we become more saved? No. When he saved us, he saved all of us. Something that's interesting, he says that pure spiritual milk, he's talking about the word of God, it brings about this growth. So whatever it means to grow up, the word of God has something to do with it. But what does it mean for a Christian to grow up? What do we grow in? If we're gathering and connecting and now we're supposed to be growing, what is growing? I know some of you are trying not to grow. I understand that. My wife's away this weekend. So I watched a movie last night. I opened a new bag of chips. <laughs> How does that happen? Praise God I had the sense to buy the family size bag, not the party size bag. <laughs> We're not talking about that kind of growing, folks. What does it mean to grow as a believer? Well, Thessalonians, we read something like this. Paul writes, We are always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. What should grow in the life of a believer? There's a lot of things that can grow, but for us, we boil it down to this one thing, faith. What should be growing through this process is our faith. Now, faith can be used in a couple of ways. The faith, you know, this body of belief, doctrine, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about this affective aspect of faith, what we actually believe to be true. Some of you are adult children of alcoholics or addicts. And what you've begun to realize as an adult is deep down inside, you have a belief that sooner or later, if something can go wrong, it will, and you better be ready. It's just something that you learned to believe. Faith, are the, faith is this thing that's deep inside us that we believe. What's supposed to grow as we grow as Christians is our faith. I'll catch up. I've got a slow thumb. I want to give you this definition for faith. I think it's as good as any. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. By the way, do you see the role that the word of God plays in that statement? Before we can grow in faith, we actually have to know something about who he says he is and what he says he will do. 
That's the purpose. That's one of the purposes of being in the Word. But as we're in the Word and we're exposed to what He says, who He says He is and what He says He'll do, then faith calls us to believe that those things are true. What does it mean when you actually believe that Jesus knows about your circumstances and can bring good from whatever comes? His goal is to actually bless you. When you really believe that and you face a difficult situation, Everything from an unplanned pregnancy to a, you lose a job to a diagnosis that says, I'm sorry, but it doesn't look good. And something wells up inside the believer who's growing in faith and says, God, I do not know what exactly you're doing. But I know you have a plan. I know you have a purpose. And I'm good with that. Show me and I will go. So what kind of thing grows faith? What is it that grows faith? As a church, if, if one of our goals is to help one another grow in faith, what grows faith? That's what we're going to talk about before we leave this morning. What grows faith? Now, when I was at Dallas Seminary, I had the privilege of sitting under Dr. Howard Hendricks. Uh, changed my life along with thousands of other young men and women. But one of the exercises that he took us through at the very beginning of my seminary time and, uh, and, and I've done it with students, and many of you have done this in, in perhaps a, a, an accountability group. But he, he had us develop what's called a life map. Looks like this. We draw a line, put the cross on there someplace, you know. So, to some of us, we actually went back a decade before we trusted Christ. And what, all you're gauging is ge your general sense of, of well-being. Not getting all psychological and, and specific. Just saying, were you feeling good, happy, things are good, or things are bad? And so then we would begin to mark off the years, and, and we started trying to remember back. Well, the, you know, when I trusted Christ, and then this happened, and that happened, it was great. Oh, then this happened, and that happened, it was terrible. And then my parents divorced, it was really bottom out. And then I, then I got accepted to college, and it was pretty good. And then I met all those Christian guys at college, and it was really good. And then I, then, then, I, and then I tried to be somebody's pastor at a church, and then I went bad, and, or whatever, you know, right? And so, I don't know, that's not necessarily a representation of my life plan, but, but that's what you get. In fact, it's a good exercise to do with a few friends. Chart out the highs and lows. One of the things that comes from this, though, is then to go through this and begin to mark off a, what, what about these times when things were at the bottom and they really started heading up? What was going on at those times? What, is there anything that is consistent through those times when it seems like God worked to turn the direction of my life? And what we learn is that when we start adding those things up, five things keep showing up. Five things that God seems to use in those key times in our life to help us grow to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Let's just list them quickly. We could spend the next year unpacking these. The first is this. Practical teaching. Practical teaching. Now this always makes me feel uncomfortable because I realize that I'm one of the teachers around here. So what I realize is 
how well I do my job can impact each of you. Lucky for you, there are other teachers too. But we're not just talking about teaching in general. We're talking about a specific kind of teaching. In Matthew 7, we read this. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Now, this is a culture where everyone was a teacher. There were teachers on every corner. They didn't have TV. They listened to teachers. Because they were amazed at his teaching. His teaching was different to them. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. When Jesus taught, people noticed something different. It had an impact on them. Has that ever happened to you? I remember the first time I went to a little Bible study as a junior hire, I'd never sat in a Bible study in my life. But as this college age, this, this Bible college student started opening the word and teaching, he was being so practical. And I remember having that feeling that he was talking directly to me. And everything he said applied to exactly what I had experienced in the last 24 hours. And the Spirit of God would stir my heart. And I thought, this is incredible. My life will never be the same. I remember that's how I felt sitting under Dr. Hendricks. I'm sitting in a class ready to pop thinking, I'll never be able to live a normal life again. Now, no teacher is able to do that apart unless God blesses his word and his spirit uses us. But a few weeks ago, I, I did get an email from somebody that said, hey, I just want you to know, <laughs> I heard you. You said this, change my life, thanks. The irony is, we're all teaching from the same book. But by God's grace, some teaching gets through. We don't want it to be like, like you know, the Peanuts cartoons and the teacher in the classroom. Hey, I've been there. I've been in those spots where all you hear is wah, 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 wah. Apparently, looking back, my, I did go to a few church services before my sister and I trusted Christ. I can't tell you a thing about it. All I heard was that. Wah, 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 wah. Jesus, by his spirit, with the word of God, has this way of cutting through the fog. Practical teaching that makes a difference. Now, don't get me wrong. What we're doing with it has a lot to do with how effective it is. But the first thing that helps us grow is practical teaching. The second thing... I would say, is private disciplines. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, that prayer is just one discipline. But the truth of the matter is that sooner or later, when a person puts their faith in Jesus and begins to want to follow Jesus as one of his disciples, sooner or later, they do something. They do it on their own. I remember, I remember the first few times I prayed. I remember going back to my room because some of you know that my parents were not very... Uh, happy about us getting all religious. 
and I'd have some conflicts with them. I remember going back to my room, and I'd begin to almost kind of talk out loud. And then I was like, I, I can't, what's it gonna, what am I going to do? I don't think I'm going to. And as I was talking and thinking out, kind of out loud, and I realized, who am I talking to? <laughs> wow. I guess this is prayer. God, I don't know what to do. I can't make my dad listen. Help me not to get upset. That doesn't help. And, and before you know it, believers start praying. Before you know it, a believer says, hey, uh, can, I remember when I trusted Christ. I remember I went up to the guy that was teaching. Um, hey, two questions. What time do we go home? Because I wanted to talk to my sister. And the second question, how do I get one of them leather books? That was the coolest thing I ever saw, a leather book. Medieval, so cool. How do I get one of those books? Of course, they thought I was a total freak. But Now, I am not a disciplined individual. Oh, I heard the stories all the time. Oh, you know, Christians, you, you should go and have your daily devotions. The minute you tell me to do something daily, I can't. Oh, some of you have that problem too. And I remember my young, my, my youth group leader talking to me, and he, I was kind of sharing that. And, and I remember I said, hey, Mike, no problem. Don't worry about it. If you don't want to, don't. That's not the right answer. No, I'm serious. It's God's love letter to you. You don't want to read it? Don't worry. I think he only wants you to read it when you want to. And I thought, Haha, okay, I'm off the hook. I stopped feeling guilty. But I remember months later, sitting in my room thinking, man, I just wish I could. I just need some. I just like I just. And I remember I started to smile. I can't believe I'm going to do this. And I opened my Bible, and I read something. I don't know what I read. But I realized exactly what he told me would happen had happened. Completely on my own, suddenly I really needed to hear from God, and I opened his word. Private disciplines, whether it's prayer, Bible study, could be fasting, could be giving, sacrificing. And we could go on, we've, we've done series on spiritual disciplines before. But the point is, the next thing that happens is sooner or later you do it on your own. Maybe some of you are at that spot. That's what will happen next. And then others come alongside us and help. Third, personal ministry. You know, when you go through a person's life map and you start charting out those times when, when real change happened in their lives, I really grew like crazy. You know what? One of the things that lines up almost all the time is one of the first times they tried to do ministry on their own. My first time was when I tried to help them play guitar in the meeting. I had been playing guitar for almost five weeks. I knew two chords. Well, 1.6 chords. One finger I could never get to the right. And they used to line up. Back in those days, they'd line up a bunch of guitars, and they would all be playing. Oh, sinner man. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, that was good because it was just two chords. But I remember that boom, 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 boom. And then by the time I got my fingers to the next chord, they were back to the other chord. Ah, ah. But I remember what I felt. I felt like I messed up the whole night. Because somehow I was supposed to be contributing. I remember when a young uh, one of these college students said, hey, Mike, next week, why don't you lead our little discussion of this passage? <gasps> I, I had never been in the Word so much in my life that next week. 
every waking moment. I'm digging in. And, and now, I thought I did a terrible job. I know I did a terrible job. And yet I grew like fury. It's interesting that people, when they first start to try to try out ministry somewhere, they'll complain about they, feel, they felt ill-equipped. They weren't adequately trained. They felt like they weren't working in their giftedness, and they did a terrible job, and they never, ever want to do that again. And yet, looking back, it'll be one of the times when they grew the most. That's why, by the way, we keep nudging all of you to find a place to minister. And if we don't have one, let's make one. One of the things that helps our faith grow is personal ministry. Next would be providential relationships. Now, the first three things we can do something about. Okay, those first three things, we have a role to play. The next two, the last two, there's nothing. You can't make these happen. They happen on God's time frame. And the first one is providential relationships. In Hebrews 10, we read, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The idea is that we challenge one another. But this idea of providential relationships, well, just let me ask you. When you came to faith, or when you remember a time of great growth in your life, who was there? Somebody was probably there. There was a certain person. Well, you know, I was really struggling. And then there was this guy at work. Or, you know, I was sharing, and, and, and then my, my brother-in-law said, or the guy that helps our troop out at Cub Scouts, you know, and he said, hey, and, but someone in your life began to come alongside you and at just the right time spoke truth and grace. They were the ones that listened to you whine and fuss. They were the ones who prayed with you. They were the ones who challenged you. These people are there right at the moment that our lives change. These are the kind of people, two things happen. These are the people that we either hear God speaking through them or we see God working in them. But when they walk into the room, you think, God has arrived because that's the impact they have on you. I know who some of those people are in my life. They were there. I remember one guy. I was a junior higher, trusted Christ. What did junior high boys love to do? Wrestle. So we would wrestle. But we were never fair. Uh, we would take cheap shots. In fact, one time I was hiding above the door outside a little porch when this, guy, this college guy walked out. And I jumped off the porch onto his head. <laughs> I grabbed his head, and the weight of my body pulled his whole body down. Any, if, if it was anybody else, it would have snapped his head right off. This guy was kind of big and muscular, really kind of ripped and cut. And I could hear it. Like, I knew I'd kind of gotten him. And he was like, ah! And he peeled me off his head, and he picked me up by my buckle and my shirt and went, ah! And I went, uh-oh. And he, he threw me to the ground, and just before I hit the ground, he went, boom. You know, and then he laughed and he kept wrestling. He could have crushed me. But he protected me. See, he invested and it was safe. Lastly, pivotal circumstances. We all have highs and lows in our life. Everybody does. 
let me ask you a question. When do you think God tends to be heard the best in our lives? During the highs? No. Isn't it ironic? That we hear God best in the lows. Now, nobody signs up for a hard time, but if I were to play my life map back, if you were to play yours back, you would say, you know what? That was terrible, but God. Oh, that was terrible. Never want to do that again, but God. And you would say there were a couple times in your life. If not yet, it will happen. Pivotal circumstances that God used to redirect your heart and your life. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to hit rock bottom. Do you remember when Jesus spoke to Peter? And he says, Peter, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. See, what makes the difference when we're hitting these low times? Some people come out of those stronger, better people, and other people are crushed by them. What's the difference? What makes the difference in those two outcomes when we hit hard times? And I'm going to suggest that it's, it's how we view those difficult times? Is God in control of this or not? Am I simply a, a victim of the cosmic whatever? Or does God know and care? We call that a worldview. And the other thing that makes a difference is who goes through those hard times with us. There are a lot of things around here at Crossroads that we can't fix, but we say it all the time. Nobody goes through something alone unless they want to. By the way, how many of you have actually already experienced that here? Yeah. Sure. Nobody has to go through anything alone. See, God uses those things to direct our lives. Philippians 3, we read this. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on and I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Nobody has arrived. Nobody has arrived. Not pastor staff, not ministry staff, not even worship leaders. Nobody has arrived. But this one thing I do, he says, I haven't arrived, but I forget what's behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I want you to notice that those two are paired. Maybe you're at a hard time right now. Acknowledging that Jesus could be at work and that you can trust him. Forgetting what's behind. It, it, he's not saying, whoa, by the way, what, did something go bad yesterday? I don't remember. It's disconnecting from the way that panic can seize us and, and, and freeze us. 
letting go of that and instead pressing toward what? What is ahead? Which is whatever it is Jesus has in store. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that's interesting. He says, and all of us who are grown up should have the same attitude, the same view of things. So, at Crossroads, because of this, because of what Jesus did in Peter's life and the lives of the disciples, there's some values that, that we hold dear. For instance, we value faith in God. Not just, no, no, just not, no, we're not done. Faith in God that brings confidence and peace. Now, you don't have to be embarrassed when you say, I'm not feeling especially confident or peaceful. None of us have arrived. But the kind of faith we're shooting for brings confidence and peace even when we're in a hard spot. This kind of faith produces dependence on God that makes people strong even when it's difficult. When I'm sitting in an, a neurological ICU unit with a mom whose 18-year-old son is on life support because he hung himself with an electrical cord. When you are there in the midst of that kind of pain, some people see only darkness. But I've been in those rooms too when believers who are strong in their faith somehow still have hope. That's what faith can do. Having faith means being aware of and joining God in his ongoing work around us. As your faith grows, you're going to begin to realize something. None of this is by accident. The person who serves you today at lunch, not an accident. The person that delivers that delivery to your home, not an accident. I remember our UPS driver. Always wave, hey, he'd honk, we'd wave. Hey, honk, wave. One day he needed my signature. I don't know why. I said, man, what's wrong? I don't even know why I said that. He went like this and he goes, my life is a mess. And he went on to tell me about this divorce that he's in the middle of and his heart's And he starts sharing everything. And I realized, you this has all been worked out. You were doing this ahead of time. And then, and of course, then I choke under the pressure. <laughs> yeah, it happens to me too. Actually, just a few weeks ago, he we went by my house, honked, and I waved, and he stopped, and he goes, I just want you to know, God's working. Wait, you think that just happens to me because I'm the pastor? What I want to tell you is, as your faith grows, you're going to realize he's doing that all around you. You just weren't paying attention. And the more that you are ready and watching for it, huh? after a while, you'll be saying, okay, can, can I have a minute off? Okay. You see, he's working all around us, and we're just joining in. By the way, that's one of the ways that you get unnervous about sharing the faith. 
we get nervous when we think we're forcing it. But when you learn to just watch for an open door, and then a door goes boom, wide open, okay, okay, here we go, and you step through. Prayer is, becomes an expression, as our faith grows, an expression of growing faith. It's not just a spiritual thing we do. As your faith grows, as you hear about something that's difficult, you're going to find, you're just going to like, let's, let's pray. That's what growing in faith does. So if gathering together focuses on truth, and if connecting has to do with learning to be effective at doing ministry, then growing has to do with the sense of accountability. Yeah. Uh, is that the right word? Yeah. What happens as you grow in faith is you start to feel like you're in this with him. I used to see this when I was a youth pastor. And our teenagers would bring friends to the meetings. And I'd have a young man who's like, he'd come to the meeting, whatever, no big deal. He couldn't care less. It was whatever. Unless he brought a friend. I remember he came up to me and goes, uh, um, hey, uh, are, are we doing a skit tonight? Why would you care? He goes, uh, um, who's, who's in the band tonight? Are they, do, are they doing, which songs are they doing? Why, why, why do you all of a sudden care? Wait a minute. Did you bring a friend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, he brought a friend. He wanted to make sure that it doesn't stink. <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at. That's how you feel. <laughs> you don't really care what we do here unless you bring a friend. Oh, man, Mike is on. <laughs> I finally get my coworker to come and, what do you mean Ben's not here? Right? I understand. But you know what that means? It means that suddenly you feel like you actually have something invested in what God's doing. Now, you may miss the days when you could just show up at church and leave and it didn't matter, you know. Oh, boy, that was a mess of a day. Who cares? You may miss that because now every time we come, okay, Lord, here we go. It's because you have buy-in. Remember, Jesus gathered these folks together, then he began to train those disciples, and then he's going to send them out. Can you imagine being one of those guys? Uh, so, you, you, I mean, because you got this, but you, yeah. Oh. Sent out. So in all of this, it's simply, and by the way, we've got one more point. Gather, connect, grow, bless. But we're going to touch on bless in a couple of weeks, so we'll hold off there. If you're new here, none of this makes any sense if you don't know that, first of all, Jesus died for you. He wants to give you eternal life as a gift. It's yours to receive or reject. But why in the world would you reject the gift of eternal life? Say, well, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready to get into all this. I, I actually, I'm not sure you understand. He doesn't say you have to get into all this. That's your choice. But he offers eternal life as a free gift. Why in the world would you turn that down? When we gather, that's the message we want to share and as we gather, we begin to build connections and we begin to sharpen one another. We can always do it better. We'll never do it perfectly. 
as we begin to become equipped in these connections, these relationships, we begin to stimulate one another's growth. After all, you have somebody that you look up to. Boy, they're a spiritual giant. Any idea how they got that way? So I ask you, it's not really what did Jesus do. It, the real question is, will we do what Jesus did? We're glad that you come and sit and leave, but we don't want you to just come and sit and leave. Jesus has invited you to join in the mission. We hope that you'll respond to him. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give you a minute that's distraction-free. There are a lot of people who kind of think good things about Jesus. They think he's a cool guy. They kind of like that. They like some of his people. That's not the same as trusting Jesus as your Savior. I'm asking you straight up, have you put your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior? What would stop you from doing that today? He loves you. He died for you. He made the payment for your sin, and he offers eternal life as a gift. Do you have a better option? Then accept it. But for those of us who, who we know that message, it almost sounds like a commercial. Yep, we know that. We hope other people believe, but I'm good. Really? You're good? Are you building authentic connections with other believers? You say, well, no, but nobody's really approached me. I'm sorry, did I say they were supposed to approach you? You can approach them. Hey, I was thinking about maybe getting, a few, getting together and studying God's word. I was thinking getting together and praying a little bit for each other. I was like, are you doing that? And as you make those connections, do you see God growing your faith? And this is all so that we can complete the mission, which is to be a blessing to those around us. And so Jesus invites us to join him in the mission. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, everything that you have done is a work of grace for us. Undeserved mercy. You don't need workers in your kingdom. You could do this all yourself. But you invite us to join you in this life changing, exciting, thrilling opportunity to see lives change, not just other people's, but ours. And so wherever we are in this walk, in this journey, if we have tended to become a little bit slow, a little bit unresponsive, I pray that you would jiggle us loose. This year, Lord, you know, we don't have to be prophetic to know that this year for our church will be unlike any other year. By your grace, we will tell folks decades from now, I was there then. I saw what God did. So God is calling us, and he, we believe he's moving us and putting a smack dab in the middle of our county to reach lives for Christ. And he says, come and join me in this walk. Join him. Oh, Jesus, you alone 
Redeemer of the world, Savior of my soul. You are also my Lord. And you send us as brothers and sisters in Christ on a mission, a mission to touch and to love, to get to do what you do, to be your hands and your feet. Don't let us miss this opportunity. Stir our hearts. Cause us to respond to your spirit. May the word of God change our minds. And may others one day say, I am so glad that that person responded to Jesus because they touched my life. Thank you for this amazing mission. Help us to live it for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.